Isn't that awesome? Uh, such an incredible story uh, that Humera shared with us. We appreciate all the testimonies that we have. And guys, uh, it's been a great day. It really has. We had uh, just uh, all of our graduates up here. And as I was watching them uh, kind of go through the line, I was just thinking about um, the impact of uh, you guys and on their life, the impact of this church on their life, which, uh, you know, uh, they've come so far. And I was thinking about the power of their, their parents as well. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, we got a lot going on today. We've honored our graduates. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, parenting and fatherhood today. And, uh, and we've also got some uh, heroes, some local heroes with us, some folks who are first responders. Uh, and if you're one of those today, I want to welcome you to our time. Uh, we're going to have a meal after this. Some things are going to change in this room because it's raining outside. Uh, but hang out, hang around with us. We've got some incredible... Um, barbecued pork that's been on the grill all night, uh, so I'm just I'm hungry already. Uh, but before we get there, uh, let's look to God's word. You know, at the risk of alienating about half of our crowd today, I want to make a, a really bold statement, and that is that I believe that your father is the most influential person in your life. Your father is the most influential person in your life. At least he should be, if things go right. Now that's not to disparage mothers. Here we're coming off Mother's Day last week, right? And you guys are going to get up in arms and go, oh, no, you know, we don't want to disparage moms. And the reality is that moms are crucial. You're not diminishing their role at all. But in reality, I think a good father can uh, set a young child on a course and determine the entire future of their life. Just like a poor father can create a father wound in their life that will stick with them the rest of their lives. I don't know about you this morning, but I would encourage you as we think about this to kind of consider the father that you had when you were growing up. Was he a good dad that really created some great memories? Was he a dad that wasn't so good that you still struggle with? Maybe he was a dad who wasn't there, was kind of absent in, uh, in your life, and you're not sure what impact he really had. Or maybe it was a dad of kind of mixed character that you never really knew what you were going to get, and so you were kind of always on edge. You know, if you're here and you're a dad, I want to encourage you today and challenge you. It's going to sound a little bit like a Father's Day sermon, but if you're here and you're not a dad, you know, I hope it's going to be encouraging to you as well. And I want to encourage our, uh, the dads that are here, our, uh, many of our uh, heroes, our local heroes are men, so we hope it's encouragement to you as well. But even if you don't have kids, I believe that the family is a huge part of the fabric of our society. So whatever your fast, uh, view may be, your perspective, uh, God's Word addresses that. And so today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We've been in a study for that in a few weeks now. We're in chapter 6, the first four verses, only four verses today, and we're talking about identity. We're talking about our identity, and we said as we began this series weeks ago that our identity begins in Christ. That is where it has to be, and it's there that we come in contact with the greatest of all fathers, and that is our Heavenly Father, God. So we're going to talk about parenting, we're going to talk about dads today, and we're going to discover that our true identity can only be experienced and fully realized in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. Paul is going to talk, first of all, to children, then he's going to talk to parents, then he's going to talk to fathers in the scope of only about four verses. So he's going to cover a lot of ground here. Let's begin verse 1. Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, when Paul says children, he's talking about little kids. He's not talking about grown adults. He's not talking about, you know, kids in their college age or, or 20. He's talking about little children. When children become adults, the relationship has to change. At that point, it becomes a peer relationship. 
Now it's time to respect and honor one another. So parents, if you're here and you have grown children that you're trying to dictate their lives and control them, back off. Back off. Give them some space. It's time for them to respect you and you to respect them. That may mean that you pull back some of your help as well. Sometimes as parents, we empower our kids a little bit too much and we create uh, situations that cause tension in a relationship. So both of us have to kind of respect one another. But Paul's addressing children and saying that children need to respect their parents and obey them, little children, in the Lord. And parents in turn are to teach God and instruct their children as God would tell them to do throughout His Word. Parents, for that to happen, we have to know the Lord. We got to know who God is. We got to understand Him if we're going to be able to do that. And it, once we know the Lord and His will, then we can lead our children. Now, I don't know about you today, but it kind of seems to me that we've got it mixed up. That a lot of children, instead of being led by their parents, are actually leading their parents. It just uh, seems to me sometimes that. The parents are a little bit afraid of their children and maybe need to step up and say, you know what, these kids were given to us by God. It's my job to lead them, not let them dictate everything about our lives. So parents know, lead on behalf of the Lord. Children are trained and disciplined to obey. That is what is right. Their obedience as children is what sets the stage or is what allows them as adults to spring into honor for their parents, which is what he talks about next. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it might go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, this goes back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 that God gave very, very early in time, establishing rules and a foundation for any orderly society. Every society that had gone back and looked at the kind of the marching orders or the directives of that society, all of them go back basically to the Ten Commandments or rules very similar to them. But he says, if you obey these rules and you honor your father and mother, then your life will go well and you'll live long. In other words, there'll be peace in the home and in the family, which is what we all want. Obedience and respect for parents is how we become to know and obey God and love and honor God. So that's so important for us to establish in the home at an early age. So he's talking to children. We don't have a ton of kids in here. So we're going to move on to parents because this is where a lot of us are. Now to parents. Get your kids under control, Paul says. Paul says that you should lead and, and direct your children. Be the parent. You know, the Bible tells us that children are a blessing. But let me also tell you that children are sinners as well. Some of you are just realizing that. You got little bitty kids, and you thought, man, these kids, they're so awesome, they're perfect. And then they get defiant, and you realize they're not perfect at all. These are sinners. You know what they are? They're little adults. They're just getting there, all right? They're sinners. They're not innocent. Not when they learn one word, which is no. And do you realize you don't have to teach your child the word no? How, how they get that, I don't know, but they just figure it out. And before you know it, they're using that word all the time, and it becomes defiance against you. Realize that you don't have to teach them that because they're born like all of us are. We're born with a sin nature inside of us. That is how we are designed. That's how we're made. And so we have to realize that since they have that sin nature and it's going to rear its ugly head at some point, then we have to guide their development or it's not going to be a very good outcome in their lives. And our lives are going to be miserable as well. And so Paul says you've got to raise them God's way to help them become what God wants them to be, not what their natural heart is going to lead them to be, which is a sinner. Parents, you will determine your child's nature. 
You will determine your child's nature by how you lead them. But even stronger than that, parents, you will determine eventually their eternal destiny. And that is a huge thought to think about, that you will be the one that will determine the destiny of your child. Now, I will say that there may be times in the absence of a relationship with God throughout the family that someone else may step in. They may step in. You know, some of the kids that we had in our, in our youth ministry, our student ministry, some of them are not raised in Christian homes, but because they come with a friend or because they come, somebody else steps in their life and may change that eternal destiny and introduce them to Christ. But the reality is that most of the time, parents, we're going to be the ones who will determine where they will spend eternity. And that's a huge thing. And so because they have a sin nature to start with, you can't just let them go and make their own decisions. If you love them, truly love them, then you're going to have to lead them and teach them and guide them and instruct them. Now here at Journey Church, we take our part of that task very seriously. We know and understand that it's a partnership. And so we want to do our part to help grow and develop your children. We have a scope and sequence of biblical lessons and principles and, and that a child will learn and experience if they are a part of our programming uh, in, a regular, uh, in a regular sense. But let me tell you what, they have to be here to experience that. They have to be around. They have to be uh, here for us to be able to help them. And as much as we want to help you, we can't take your place. We really can't. Parenting begins in the home. The church in a few hours a week is no way that we can give them what they need or, or encourage them to the place that, to help them grow where God wants them to be. So you need to learn to take responsibility, but also to teach your kids, as the Bible says, teach them to obey. You know, obedience is outward behavior. It's what a child does. Honor also has to be taught, and that's the inward behavior. That's the heart. Those two lessons taught to a young person will help them the rest of their life not only in raising their own family, but also just fitting into society. To learn to obey laws, to honor authority, respect one another, those are laws that every society has to have. And again, through this experience, we learn how to obey and in turn to honor God. Let me say also that, that the family is a huge part of the fabric of our society and that a family needs a mom and a dad in the home at the same time, in the same place. We know today the tragedy of divorce that just shatters families, but it also shatters the spiritual development of a child as well. And so divorce needs to be avoided, if at all possible, not only because of vows that you make, but also because of the children's spiritual development. Now, let me hurry to say uh, that children can survive a divorce and succeed in broken homes. I'm not saying that, but I would say it is second best. It's not what God intended for us to raise our kids in. So that's our part, to guard our marriages and our home. And while we're talking about parenting and mom and dad, they need to agree and be on the same page about raising kids. Have you ever thought about, uh, most families, uh, most couples, uh, some of the biggest problems they have in conflict in, in marriage is with their children and how you might think about raising them differently. So let me give you a couple suggestions here. If you're single, I would encourage you, if you're a believer, not to marry a non-believer. Not because you're too good to at all, but just because you're too different. There's some differences in philosophy. There's different ways that you look at things. And there's probably always going to be some tension there on both parts. And so understand that, that coming together and, and marrying someone is, is a huge decision, not only for the moment, but for the down, down the road and raising kids as well. Now, someone I, I might ask, well, can't you lead this person to the Lord? Maybe so. That does happen. 
But evangelism is not best done in the context of marriage because there's a likelihood that it may not work out at all. But I would also encourage you not just marry a Christian, but, but also someone that you agree with theologically and someone that you talk to about raising kids. Now, many of you know that I, we have four kids, and uh, we kind of reached another phase a couple weeks ago because my youngest daughter got engaged. And uh, so she's going to be married here in a year, uh, a year's time. And you also know that, uh, I've told you before, that in order for someone to get one of, my, one of my daughters, they have to go through me, which is how it has to be, right? Uh, that they may be all about it, but they have to get dad's sign off up front. And so I have, I have 10 questions that I, I send to uh, the young man. They know this. My daughters have already uh, informed them that they don't get to marry unless they answer these 10 questions uh, that I give to them. And they have to be an essay form and given to me written. Now, we're not sitting around talking about these things. I want to be able to go back and show them what they said, you know, if they renege on their deal. But uh, so we take it really serious. And I would encourage you to do the same thing as well, to recognize this is a huge deal. That you guys got to talk about these issues, about, uh, about what marriage is going to be like, about what parenting is going to be like. And understand, you know, that there are some differences that are going to cause some conflict. You know, are you going to have kids? How many kids are you going to have? You know, how are you going to discipline those children? How are you going to share responsibilities with children? Is mom going to be able to stay home? Is that, a, is that a possibility? Who's going to be the leader of the home? Who's going to take spiritual leadership? How are we going to support one another? If one parent says no, is the other parent going to say something different? Those are all issues that cause conflict. Parents have to be together on things. See, here's the problem today sometimes, is that families get pulled apart because they're not marriage-centric. You know, I believe the Bible teaches that a marriage ought to be set couple or marriage-centric. That's where it all begins, and then everything kind of goes out from there. But instead today, what you see a lot is you see couples, families that are child-centric, that are focused only on the child, and we think we're doing the right thing for them, but in the big picture, we really, really aren't. Have you ever noticed how our culture today allows children to control a family's life? One child may dictate everybody's life. For example, one kid's sports may dictate the whole family's summer. We made a mistake like that one time. We had our son in a uh, special league. Not that that's always a mistake, but we also had three girls that we drug all over the countryside, several states one summer, and we thought that, is, that was not a smart decision for us because sometimes our homes become child-centric. Or maybe sometimes we allow our children to dictate the things that we do. And I, I've seen, you know, when a baby's born, for example, sometimes parents say, we can't leave the house for six months. And so their connection with God and the Christian community, the church, is, is lost. Have you ever noticed how our culture excuses behavior of a child anymore? For example, when a baby is little, everybody says, oh, they're beautiful and they're perfect. But when they get a little bit older and they can talk, what happens? What do we call it? The terrible twos. There's nothing special about the age of two. Sometimes it starts when they're one. But, you know, when they get to where they can be defiant, suddenly that child is out of control, in control of the family, and it's a terrible twos, which usually bleeds into the terrible threes and the terrible fours uh, for a lot of kids. And then, then there are those, uh, those awkward elementary years, and then they become a preteen with all those hormones, and then they're a teenager. And so from age about two to 20, that kid gets a pass, you know, because life is just too hard on them. And we excuse all of that. And then when they get to college, everybody goes crazy. And in their 20s, they haven't settled down. So you can pretty much live most of your life excused of any responsibility because you're just a kid, right? 
That's not how the Bible teaches that we're supposed to raise our children. We can blame the times and culture and media and technology and everything else, but the bottom line is that it's on parents that bear responsibility for raising the kids. And specifically, it's on men to step up and lead. So guys, that's my challenge to you. After being through it, and failing plenty of times, but I, I know the secret is that, guys, we have to step up and lead our families. And ladies, ladies, sometimes you have to step back and let men lead. And I know that's really hard, and the reason for that, I'll tell you a secret that, that guys know, is that we can be very passive. And ladies, if you will let us, we'll let you take over, and we'll let you lead. But you know what will happen? We'll both resent it. Because you will resent the fact, you know what, he should be doing that, and that's not my job, my responsibility. You're going to resent that, and he's going to go, you know, I could have done that better. It's just how guys are. So ladies need to step back. Guys, we need to step up. This is how God made us. It's how we are created. And this is such an important issue. It really matters with your family. Your children, your children are so important. And your children will bring you joy in life or they'll bring you a ton of misery in life. But one thing is sure, they will look a lot like you. They will look like you. Will your son be the man you want him to be? What kind of husband will your daughter choose? You know, what I've noticed about the uh, young men that our daughters have chosen for their husbands is they look and sound a lot like me, which is a little bit scary, you know. I like to think that they're really good qualities, but I see some negative qualities in them as well that kind of reflect on me. They're the kind of people that uh, men that, my, that your daughters will choose, much like you. And some of you may be in a family cycle that isn't healthy at all. I would encourage you to break the cycle. Step up and break the cycle. If you've seen that happen from your father and his father, be a different kind of father. Be a different kind of parent. Now, then, if it weren't enough that Paul's talking to dads, he really focuses and singles out fathers even more and says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He says, don't exasperate them. In other words, don't provoke your children to anger is what another version says. Now, how can you provoke your children to anger? Well, can you imagine this in such a, a context of maybe like a bank account? Many relationships are a lot, a lot like a bank account. You have to invest in the bank account, make deposits before you can make withdrawals. And so you need to make lots of deposits in your relational account with your children. And the way you do that is encouragement. Encouragement is a deposit that you make. You encourage, you encourage, you encourage. You can't encourage them too much. Just constantly be there. But then when it's time to make a withdrawal, when it's time to correct them, when it's time to uh, discipline them, then you have the balance to be able to do it. You have the freedom. You have, you have the distance to be able to do that. And when those withdrawals come because they're going to fail, they're going to sin, make mistakes, it's our turn to step in and correct them and, dis and dis uh, discipline them. You see, when our kids see you as a coach that's always encouraging them, when you have to become a critic and you have to correct them, it makes it so much easier. More deposits than withdrawals. Another way to exasperate your child is with physical and verbal abuse. Physical and verbal ab abuse. Let me tell you up front that I believe in the family, I believe in corporal punishment. Now, that's not the same as capital punishment, for some of you may not know. Corporal punishment means that I may, and we did at times, give our kids a spanking. Now, never ever would it be considered a beating, 
but we did give them a spanking. And you know what? They survived well. They did, they did really well. They're very disciplined kids today. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes, you know, it's biblical. Sometimes it's necessary. I call it the kind of the nuclear option. It's not what you start with. It might be the place that you get to at some point. But you know what? I talk to people who do disagree with that, and, and they say, I would never lay a hand on my child. But the reality is that some of those folks verbally abuse their children in a horrible way. I believe leaving more scars verbally and psychologically than you'd ever do with a couple of swats on the butt. So understand that, you know, we have to learn how to discipline, and we have to do it in balance. A lot of parents, though, especially fathers, take out their frustration physically on their children and only then provoke them to violence, not correction. The purpose of discipline is correction. And so we have to understand that it's given in the right way. We should never, ever punish our kids when we're angry. Punishment is not a way to vent our anger. It is a way to correct their behavior. Screaming at your kids, criticizing them, always on them for something, making fun of them, antagonizing them, those are ways you may not touch them, but you can scar your kids and frustrate them. You can also exasperate your kids by being absent physically or emotionally from your kids. The dad who's always working, always watching TV, when he's home, he's on his computer, on his phone, he never talks with, never plays, never touches a child, that's frustrating to your child because you're not building a relationship. I believe every child has a certain need of touch to be held in love. Some are high touch. You know, I had one of my kids that was a high touch kid and wanted to be, wanted to wrestle and hug and sit on my lap and, and everything all the time, which was fine. It was great. Dads, I believe especially that we need to be the ones that give appropriate affection to our daughters. And we show them what it means for a man to, to respect a woman. Because if you don't teach them that, who's going to do it? It's going to be some other guy probably, and you don't want somebody else teaching your daughter what's correct. Children need to be present, need us to be present physically and emotionally in their lives. We can also exasperate our kids with public humiliation and criticism. You know, when kids are little, I think sometimes parents have it backward. Sometimes when kids are little, we ignore our kids when they need to be called down. And sometimes when they're older, we call them down in public when we need to do it in private. I believe that a child needs to be corrected, and uh, when our kids were little, we would, we would call them out in public. Sometimes we would take them out of the room to the bathroom, which was code for, you're going to get a spanking, uh, so you want to go to the bathroom, usually meant straighten up now. But you know what? When kids get older, it's never good to call them out publicly. Do it privately and gently, because you're not there to dominate your child but you're there to discipline them. And if you have established authority over them and obedience in them before they get to be older, then you ought to be able to speak a word to them quietly. And they would obey you because they respect you. But being heavy-handed publicly and embarrassing your child, your older child, will exasperate them and by not accomplishing your, your purpose either. Here's another way that I like this one. You can exasperate your child by not being fun. By not being fun. Sometimes as dads, we get, we're so serious about life. And we're so concerned about parenting that do it right that we never have any fun with our kids. And that means that we spend time with them. Our kids ought to have great memory of, of us sharing and playing with them. And, and, uh, and understanding that it's a delight to be a dad and to, to have children. You know, the Bible says that our identity is that we are fathered by our Heavenly Father who is perfect, who delights in us. Here's what it says in, in Proverbs. The Lord disciplines those he loves 
as a father, the son he delights in. In other words, God delights, he loves us, and we find joy in worshiping God and spending time with God and through our prayer and our, our Bible study. We find that joy. So dads, when you're with your kids, you ought to find joy. Now, this, this past week, my, uh, one of my daughters said, Dad, I think you get to be more fun every year. And I thought, you know, that's a compliment. I, I like that. I don't know what that says about when I used to be years ago, but, but I like to think that I can be fun with my kids. And we ought to enjoy that. We ought to create those opportunities, making memories being together. What I was thinking about is we have a lot of memories of camping. And I don't know what it is about camping, but you want to create some memories, go camping with your kids. Probably some difficult, some negative ones as well, but, but you always have experiences when you go camping. So vacations, just sports, time together, whatever it is, don't be a stick in the mud to your kids. If you make a lot of those memories and you have great times with them, then when you have to have some serious times and talks, it makes it so much easier. And be generous to your kids. Kids love to hear that, right? Be generous to them. That's fun. So let's just go have some fun. And uh, we get so hung up today about, about, our, about money that, that sometimes we forget to enjoy that and to use it on our kids. And one more way, and I think this may be the most important we can exasperate our kids by being unrepentant whenever we're wrong. You see, being a parent doesn't mean that you're right all the time. Nothing in the parent card makes you right all the time. Only God is right all the time. So we're going to sin sometimes. We're going to say things in front of our kids that we shouldn't say. We're going to do things that we shouldn't do. Sometimes we're going to sin against our kids. We're going to say things to them that we should never say. And whenever we blow it, we have to decide what are we going to do about that. Are we going to act like because we're parents, because we're perfect, and we're not going to let them see us make a mistake? No. We're going to admit it. We're going to say, you know what? I was wrong. I want to ask you to forgive me, and, uh, and let's, let's heal the relationship. Isn't that what we want them to do, to learn how to do? So why don't we model that? Why don't we model that kind of humility and that kind of love for other people and submissiveness that we could ask our child to forgive us? And you know what? Some of us may need to go home this afternoon and call an adult child and go back and try to repair a relationship because what I've found is those type of things oftentimes influence the relationship for years to come. You take the initiative. You know, our Heavenly Father is the best of showing that, isn't he? He is perfect. He never makes a mistake. And yet every time we see God, we see that he is taking the initiative to reach out to us to improve the relationship. He never backs off in pride, because, even though he's perfect. We're not God, and we should never let pride keep us from being humble before our kids or being humble before God as well. Guys, you know what? I know it sounds like a lot, but it all comes down to just being a person who models what we've experienced from God. The Bible says that our Heavenly Father teaches us all these things, and he'll give us help. We're not out there alone. God's on your side. And our kids need to see us modeling a connection and a relationship with Him, and that's how they're going to pick it up. Our kids need to see us reading our Bibles and praying and loving and growing in Christ. They need to see us respecting their mother and leading spiritually in the family. They need to see us getting the family up for church and giving sacrificially and serving through the church. Men, you ought to be the ones to go in and read the Bible to your kids at night and stories uh, and pray with them and put them to bed. And pray over your kids. Encourage them. Use teachable moments in everyday life to teach them Bible principles and practical application. Talk to your sons about respecting women. Talk to your daughters about modesty. 
encourage them. And how what they look and, and what they wear really, really matters. And you know what I've found sometime today is that in, in our busy world, we try to do it the easy way. We try to just give them things. Don't just give your kids a smartphone, a computer, and a TV and turn them loose with it. Do the hard part. Monitor that. Give them guidance and limitations. Help them understand that they have to make wise decisions and tell them the results of the bad decisions that they make because the stakes are huge. They are huge. Again, how we parent our children when they're small will determine our relationship when they get to be teenagers and then when they get to be adults. And not only that, they're going to be just like you in some ways, and your sons will be like you, your daughters will marry men like you, and think about what you want their families to look at and your grandchildren and the scenario settings that they'll end up living in. Guys, you see, it's a serious thing. It's a sacred honor. It really is. I believe it's something that God has kind of passed down to us. And so we need to have a vision and a plan and a strong relationship with our Heavenly Father in order for us to be successful. You know, if you're a Christian here today, then you've got the relationship. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And, and that's a tenet of, of Christianity is that we go to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Christian, you have a relationship with the Father and he's modeling all of this for you. It's time to kind of step up and acknowledge that and step up our personal game in, in that. Maybe for those here who don't know Christ as Lord, that's where you start. To really know the Father is coming to know Jesus and giving your life to Him. And I would love to have that conversation with you anytime to take that first step. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And however we can do that, whatever your first step or your next step may be, we would love to take some time and to do that. We're going to transition just a bit here now to a time of, of celebration, a time of remembrance, and that's in our, uh, the partaking of communion. And so if you're here this morning and you're a believer, we invite you to share with us in that. When we take the piece of bread and the cup of juice, it's a reminder of the body and the blood of Jesus that was, was broken and poured out for us. And our tradition is that as they pass by, you just take a piece out uh, and the cup of juice and then have your own time of reflection, and then you partake whenever you're ready. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for this day. And God, we're just so grateful for the privilege of being a part of your family. God, understanding who you are and knowing you uh, through Jesus. And God, understanding that dads have to make sacrifices for their family. And God, you're a, a dad, a father who sacrificed your greatest gift, your son Jesus on the cross so that we might have our sins forgiven. And we want to recognize that, acknowledge that today through the sharing of this communion time. And Lord, as we take this, may we remember the ultimate sacrifice of his death on the cross. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.